Today on the Scott Thompson Show on 900 CHML. Of course, the uh, Prime Minister speaking earlier this morning, mostly today in regard to benefits and how we are to receive them, those that need them. And again, those systems all going into place and starting yesterday as well. Here's what uh, the Prime Minister had to say this morning in regard to aid to those that need it. A lot of work has been done since we announced our plan to subsidize wages. We continue to rely on your input and feedback as we add back as we refine it, and we'll have more details to share very soon. Yesterday was also the first day people could apply to receive the CERB. On that note, I want to recognize the tremendous work done by the public service who processed hundreds of thousands of claims. They're working around the clock to get Canadians the help they need as quickly as possible. That is the Prime Minister speaking in regard to uh, up to 700,000 uh, 700, Canadians have already applied for uh, CEB, that's the emergency aid that's needed for those that uh, are uh, feeling the pinch as a result of COVID-19. Federal government has put this in place to talk about this and uh, various different angles of COVID-19. Let's bring in Marvin Ryder, business professor at a group school of business, McMaster University. He is with us now. Marvin, thank you for the time. Hope you're doing well. I am just fine, thank you, and, and same to you. I hope you're doing just great uh, with the family. Yeah, we're all here, hunkered down, enjoying it. It's it's like it's a place of work. It's a classroom. It's all those things all rolled into one. And you it's didn't quite mention interesting, it, but we should also sure. note that it's a place of worship as well because the churches are closed. Yes. Many people are worshiping at home too. That home becomes very multifunctional during these times. I was just talking to uh, Reverend Jim Carrier to be with the show many years ago, and. He- same thing, and, and really doing virtual uh, ministering from his home. So it's fascinating to see how everybody has uh, has adjusted to all of this. Marvin, before we get to uh, the CERB and such, your thoughts on what has been going on with the whole 3M and mask situation. Uh, as a business professor, what are you seeing here? Well, uh, clearly over the years, uh, companies have become multinational, and they operate in many different places. Now, we still think of them as having a home base of some place. So, for instance, Ford Motor Company, well, we think of it as an American car company that does business around the world. And that's clearly the way Donald Trump looks at this. It says, first and foremost, you're an American company, even if you have plants around the world. Now, take 3M. 3M manufactures these masks, but they don't just do it in the United States. They do it in Singapore. They do it in China. I think they even make some masks here in Canada. And they do this because they're lightweight. It actually costs a lot of money to ship them long, long, long distances. So you tend to build the factories closest to the different markets. So they've got a bunch of markets around the world. Uh, Trump was suggesting that as an American company, first and foremost, all of their production should come to come to the United States. And I think that comes as a real shock to the rest of the world who says, well, whoa, 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 whoa. We have these plants in our country. We think of them as our plants, not your plants, Mr. Trump. And it's, it's one of those things that many of the rules that Donald Trump is using, this, this uh, Production Defense Act, was never really written in the context of a multinational world. It was written at a time that American businesses operate in America and Canadian businesses operate in Canada. When this is done, I guarantee you there's going to be a lot of people looking at these different acts and deciding uh, should we be amending our policies or in the case of take Canada for an example, should we always have some form of an emergency medical supply company here in Canada, even if it means higher costs, you know, Many of us push the government to save money, save money, save money, put contracts out to tender, go with the lowest bidder. 
And we sometimes forget that maybe there's a good reason to not always go with the lowest bidder if it keeps a Canadian company as an alternative source of supply. These will be examined when we get past the, the peak on all of this. Um, why the change in tone? Uh, because uh, as the weekend approached, we heard from Doug Ford that these were being held up at the border. Then it looked like some got through. And now it looks like a wholesale change with some sort of deal that has been signed between 3M and the United States. Your thoughts on any of that? Yeah. Well, I, I suspect our, our nice folks at 3M had a conversation with the White House to try to explain that if you put up the barrier too strictly, that our masks are our masks and you can't sell them anything else, there may be important supplies the United States need that come from other countries around the world. There's a wonderful meme going around on Facebook that notes that the pulp that is used to create the paper for these masks comes from Canada. So if you want to do this, what's mine is mine and what's yours is yours, all Canada has to do is says, fine, we'll hold on to our pulp, and then what are you going to do? It, you know, it's not as simple, I'm afraid. Donald Trump likes things in very simple terms, and I suggest that 3M explain to them why there is this quid pro quo. Maybe close the borders to, uh, I don't know, Guatemala or Peru. Don't let them ship masks there. But uh, Canada and the United States are so interconnected. If you want to pull this game, you might suffer more than you gain from it. Uh, how did 3M handle this? Because at one time, they certainly were the target of Donald Trump's tweets. Yeah. Well, uh, you know, I think today with Donald Trump in the White House, no company wants to be recognized by Donald Trump either for doing something good or doing something bad. It, it, it's just, you know, please don't even talk about us at all. Just let us do our own thing. Thank you very much. Uh, I think they were probably caught off guard by anybody else that they they felt they were doing their best to get all these different supplies to different people, as are the people making ventilators, as are the people who are doing uh, gowns and other surgical needs. Um, I think they all felt they were doing a great job, and I think they were a little surprised that Donald Trump decided to to close ranks on this issue specifically. I get where he comes from. You know, this is why you have these these rules in place. If there was a war. You don't want your local companies to be supplying the enemy or taking valuable products away from your citizens. You need them to be there. But I'm not quite sure this is exactly a war analogy, even though Mr. Trump thinks it is. Um, and I, I think we, you know, we have to think a bit about uh, we're all in this boat together here. And uh, um, it's like, uh, Scott, I'll give you a different example. I've had a few people complain to me why in all of this emergency funding package that Mr. Trudeau has passed, is there an amount of money, and I think it's around $150 million, that is going towards international aid. We've got to do what we right here in Canada first. But I point out, for us to get back to normal, the world has got to beat COVID. And there are small countries, developing countries, that don't have the resources. The developed world, we're one of the 10 largest economies in the world. We have a vested interest in helping some of these smaller countries also so defeat COVID virus, or we'll never get back to normal. So it's a small part of a big package. It doesn't really bother me, but I do see other people who, like Mr. Trump, believe Canada first, Canada first, Canada first. Uh, Chinese telecommunications giant Huawei quietly flying millions of masks into Canada, although I'm not sure how quiet this story is now, uh, <laughs> as health authorities and hospitals struggle to uh, acquire supplies. Your thoughts on this happening, considering... Uh, the Huawei CFO is obviously being held in in Vancouver. The two Michaels. This whole story, uh, as a, you know, because this isn't the Chinese government. This is Huawei that's doing yeah. this. 
Well, there's a bigger part, of course, even the, and all of that, what you just said, is true. But also remember, Canada is planning, as is most of the developed world, to roll out 5G cell phone technology over the next few years. And Huawei is a big player in that. Now, in the United States, Mr. Trump has said, no, Huawei, you cannot participate. In Australia, Australia has said, no, Huawei, you cannot participate. The England has gone a different route. They said, yes, you can participate as long as it's not in super secret or super critical systems. We won't let you participate there. And we, Canada, have not made up our mind. The federal government had planned to make that announcement in the spring, and we're now in the spring. Uh, obviously, it's being delayed because of COVID-19. And I think Huawei is um, trying to demonstrate that it can be a good corporate citizen Canada, you haven't made up your mind yet about 5G rollout, but here, you know, we're more than just money-grubbing <laughs> individuals looking to make a buck. Here we are. You needed some help. We're here to help you. And I think it's just, a, again, it's a subtle reminder about the interconnectedness of the world and a way to maybe curry a little favor with the government to say, could you see it, could you see it in your heart to allow us participate in 5G in some way. And I'll be honest with you, I, I think likely we will. I think we'll get closer to what the British have done than what the Americans have done. It's hard to ignore how important Huawei is in the telecommunications world. It would be good to see it in their heart if they could release the two Michaels, too. Um, uh, is this... Huawei bright, doesn't control is this, that. No, but again, it's all, it's all very tied in, isn't it, uh, uh, Marvin? I mean, we have to be honest about this. So is this goodwill or is this bribery for a deal later down the road? Ah, uh, well, of course, the old story, one person's goodwill is somebody else's bribery. Uh, my father, he was a shift supervisor, and every year at Christmas time, a trucking company always gave us a, a, a big box of chocolates. Uh, were they doing that to thank my father for the work that was thrown their way, or were they bribing him to get more work down the road? It's, it's probably a little bit of both. And uh, and I actually will say from a business school standpoint, I think it's a rather clever move that they have made just, to again, to show a different mm -hmm. side to that company. Um, only time will tell if it, it turns out to be bribery or not. I'm going to take it as goodwill at this point. You're listening to the Scott Thompson Show podcast on 900 CHML. Uh, how ironic is it that China is, or in this case, Huawei, and again, this is Huawei that's doing this, not the Chinese government. Do you think the China's, Chinese government is aware of this, though, Marvin? Oh, I would say so. There's very little that happens in China the Chinese government doesn't know about on some level or not. In fact, uh, sometimes there's things that the government itself can't do, but their corporations can do. And it is part of a, a, a wonderful kabuki dance, if I use a Japanese term, kabuki dance. But it's a wonderful dance that goes on. And, and um, I realize that sometimes the government says, well, I can't do this because it's not our policy. But, hey, you're not quite governed by this. You can do something that we can't. Um, and I, I think I, I now, mind you, the Chinese government has also sent us a plane load of goods as well. You might remember that Mr. Trudeau has had some negative comments that in early February he sent a plane load of medical supplies to China. And, well, geez, we should have kept those here. And what are we doing? Well, back in February, of course, the idea was to keep the disease contained in China. That was what the world was wanting. That didn't work out. The disease obviously leaked out. But just uh, in the last week or so, China has sent a plane load of supplies back to say, thank you, we don't need these anymore. Let's give these back to you, and you can use them. Uh, again, there is, there is this kind of grand uh, gesturing going on around the world. Uh, how ironic is it that now it appears that China is helping us and the United States isn't? 
Yeah, well, that I, is bril- that is brilliant on China's part. Absolutely, you know, this is the new world order, and and I, frankly, Scott, I, I always tell people too, the United States, we've enjoyed the last hundred years with them. We've sat on the border of the largest economy in the world, and we have prospered because of it. But as I look to the rest of this century, the United States is going to slip. It's going to slip to number two, and ultimately even number three in terms of economic power. We have to get used to the fact that, yes, we want to maintain good relations with the Americans, but we also have to strike up good relations with both China and India. Those are going to be the economic engines of this century that we're in. Um, so you know, we've got to find ways to play this game on all three sides. It's gotten a little more complicated, and I think this is a great example of it. Our ally that we have trusted for years in our dark hour doesn't seem to be quite as strong. And here's an ally that we never really had who suddenly shows up around the corner, it does give you uh, a chance to rethink things. Do you think anybody within uh, Donald Trump's circle of friends is telling him that and pointing that out, that you look like the bigger bully than China at this point? No. <laughs> the short answer is no. Uh, I, don't, I don't tend to watch Mr. Trump's daily briefings anymore because I find they are so self-congratulatory, and in particular... Yeah, yeah of Mr. Trump himself. You know, thank you for your leadership. Thank you for your insight. Thank you for all this. Please, uh, I teach at a business school in which one of our big things is success is based on teams. And no one individual should be standing up there and taking credit. The good leader thanks everybody else but themselves. They, they reward their teams. And, and Mr. Trump is from an old school, which is all about me, 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 me. I, I just don't have a lot of patience for it. So, no, he surrounds himself by people who tells him what he wants to hear. And I'm sure if somebody wants to tell them something different, they're out of that circle. Hmm. Uh, 700,000 Canadians have applied for CERB, an astounding number. Your thoughts? Well it, well, it is. Now, I have to take you back a little bit. At one point, the CERB was strictly for people who were either having to quarantine and thus couldn't go to, couldn't go to work. They had a job, but they couldn't go to work. Or it was for people who had to stay home, for instance, to take care of children um, because, you know, daycares were closed. And, yes, again, they still had a job. And then employment insurance was going to be for those people who had lost their jobs. What's happened over the last couple of weeks is given the numbers that we're talking about, truly millions of people, we think it's going to be on the order of two to two and a half million people who are going to find themselves out of work because of COVID-19. The government realized that to try to process all of those as EI claims was going to be too difficult. And the major reason for that is when you apply for EI, the government then checks with the employer who let you go to find the terms of why you left and how long you'd been there and so on and so forth. Well, many of those businesses, I can't even reach by phone now, those businesses have closed. So rather than do it as EI, they're taking all of those people, whether you have are sheltering at home, whether you're taking care of children, or you've become unemployed because of this, and they're going directly to the CERB payment. That's why I think when the dust settles on this, we're going to have, again, 2.5 million, maybe as many as 3 million people who are taking advantage of it for the time being. I will say to you also, Scott, I'm a little concerned because the government is erring on the side of getting money out there and speed of processing that I think there are some people who are applying for this simply because, hey, the government's giving out money. Where do I sign up to get my money? For instance, I've heard some seniors say, I want to apply for this. I want some money. And I go, but, but you're not affected. You didn't lose a job because of this. Yeah, yeah, but if they're giving out money, I want my share. And that worries me a little. And I am sure at some point down the road, somebody like an auditor general is going to point out that, 
and I have no idea how many cases, maybe 50,000 cases, maybe 100,000 cases are people who didn't really deserve it, but they've signed up anyway. And so I, I think the government's doing the right thing. They're trying to help the people. And if there's some error, they're going to err on the side of getting more money out of there than less. But I also think there are a few people who are misunderstanding what CERB is all about, and, uh, and they're just kind of lining up for their checks. How long can we do this, Marvin? Uh, uh, good question. The, the feeling is uh, uh, three to four months, that we, we can handle this three to four months. That's what the whole world has kind of talked among themselves and come to an agreement that says we should get past this in three to four months. I think the more interesting question is how do then we restart the economy? We've tried to keep it all in hot idle mode, uh, kind of like a blast furnace analogy. You're not making steel, but you're keeping everything hot so that when you're ready to, you can start doing it again. But is it going to be just like a flick of the switch, or, or how do we restart this? We've never tried this before. Um, I'm not actually worried about the amounts of money at this point, even though they're huge. We're talking about uh, probably $200 billion the government has to borrow to get through all of this. But some of that will come back on the other side. Um, so this year may look bad, but 2021, we may be able to get some of those numbers going the other direction. Uh, the bigger question is, is, is this becoming the new normal? And if that's the case, then we can't keep doing this. We can do this for a while, but if this now is the new normal, then we've got to figure out a whole other way, a whole other uh, template for running the country. Marvin Ryder has been with us, business professor at Groot School of Business, McMaster University. Marvin, as always, thank you so much for the time. Much appreciated, and you take care. Glad to be with you. The Scott Thompson Show, weekdays from noon to 3 on 900 CHML.